Okay. Let's round it back up. This morning, I've, I asked Yoav if he would bring the message this morning, and I believe the Lord has laid something on his heart. So let's have a word of prayer for him, and then we're just going to turn him loose. Lord, thank you for Yoav. Thank you for the Fatusi family. Thank you for all their family is here today. And as Yoav opens your word, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. Speak through him as he preaches your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, can you guys hear me? Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. I am, uh, as you guys see, we have a baby daughter now, so sleep is a rare commodity for us. So while I'm preaching, if I fall over, and I'm sli- don't worry, I'm fine. I'm just sleeping. I'm just resting. <laughs> resting in the Lord. There you go. <laughs> so... Um, what the Lord put on my heart today for us to speak about, we're going to find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 until 10. The title is uh, The Christian's Ambition, okay? And um, before we go in there, you know, as I like to do, we're just going to, you know, go and delve into the verse, see what we can learn, and just, you know, pick it apart. So, introduction. Uh, our text is found in, in the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This was a church that was very strong with the spiritual gifts. Uh, they had other th- good things going on for them, but then also they had a lot of issues that, that they also had going for them. So Paul wrote the letters to address them, to help them to navigate and to do what is right before God uh, with everything that was going on. Um, according to John MacArthur, Paul had several reasons for writing this letter. So this is the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He sought to defend his apostleship that was being attacked by false apostles. So what we had was false apostles infiltrating the church in Corinth and trying to discredit Paul and who he was and the work God was doing through him. He sought to exhort the Christian church, the Corinthian church, I'm sorry, to resume preparations for the collection for the poor in Jerusalem. So we're talking about the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers that were there. He was exhorting the church in Corinth to be able to prepare to send a financial um, help for them. And then he also sought to confront those same false apostles that were trying to discredit him, um, he sought basically to confront him because they were assaulting his character. Now, John, the text we're going to read today, John MacArthur goes on to state that our text is found in the section of the letter in which Paul is defending his apostleship from the attacks of the false apostles, and he's also sharing his motivation for his ministry as an apostle of Christ. Okay, so that's, that's where, we're at, where we're at right now with this letter, Okay. So I want us to go, 2 Corinthians, we're going to read verses 5 to, uh, through 8, 1 until 8, because I want us to kind of get into the perspective where I want us to be focused on as we uh, read the actual verses that I'll be preaching on. So 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to start in verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, we will not be found naked. For indeed while we were in the tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but but to be clothed, so that what is mortal, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. 
For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So that's the context, that's the perspective I want us to think of as we're going to look at verses 9 until 10. Paul is basically stating in these verses we just read that he, his longing to be clothed with his resurrection body and to be with Christ. He rec- Paul recognized that to be with Christ was far better than living on earth and that heaven was his true home. Is that not true for us as Christians? Our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong here. This is not home for us. We're just pilgrims. We're going to one day be with Christ. That's home for us. So with that eternal perspective in mind, I want us to, we're going to read, um, we'll learn what the Christian's ambition should be per verses uh, 9 and 10. So 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Okay? So Paul states here that regardless of his state, either he's at, at, at home in, in our earthly, uh, earthly flesh, in our earthly body, or absent in heaven with Christ, he desires to, plea, to be pleasing to God. That, that's Paul's perspective. That's, that's his desire. The word ambition in the Greek, it means to show affection for what is personally valued or honored. It refers to pursuing or devoting oneself to what has great personal value. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that there is great personal value in seeking to live a life that is pleasing to Christ. That's basically what he's saying. And I also thought it was really interesting that the word pleasing, according to John MacArthur, is the term that is the same one used in Titus 2.9. And this is really interesting, guys. It to describe slaves who are passionate to please their masters. What a beautiful thing to think of. Because we as Christians, we, God is our master. He's our father. Jesus is our friend, yes, but he is our master. We're his slaves. We should have that passion to please him. That should be something that we treasure above anything else. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So what I was just saying is that the Christian's highest goal and pursuit is to passionately seek to please God. Now, I wouldn't be very good in preaching if I just told you guys that and I didn't tell you what does that mean. How do we live that out? It's very easy for me to be up here and say things. You guys should do A, B, and C. Okay, what does that look like? What do we do? How do I please God in this life? Okay, and I'm going to give you just four examples. I want us to go through uh, some scriptures here, okay? So the first one is Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verses 35 and 37. We have a lot of scriptures today, and I didn't put them up there, so we're going to have to go through our Bibles. I think that's a good thing to do. So, Not just because Pastor Ron likes it. <laughs> so Matthew 22, verses 35 and 37. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him. Teacher, what is, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We're talking about the, 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 the Torah. Verse 37, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, okay? So that's the first, the first thing, the first way we can live a life that pleases God is that we seek to love him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. What, is that, what that basically means is we love him with all of our being. With everything within us, we love him. 
that in, that in comparison to him, we have no other compete, competing loyalties. I have a preacher that I, I, I greatly admire. His name is Paul Washington. He said something about when, when the Lord talks about us as, as Christians that we should love whoever doesn't hate his father, mother, sister, brother for my sake is not, will, is not, is not uh, worthy to be my disciple. Well, what he's basically saying is it's not right when we, when we as Christians say, you know, God is number one. And then we have my wife and our, and our family, which is, yes, I mean, they are important and God wants us to value them. But when God, when, when God is calling us to love him, that means he's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's everything. Like in comparison to our families, to our friends, the love that we have for them would be hatred if it's compared to the love we have for God. That's how we should love him. That's how strong our love for him should be. Okay, so that it, it should be something that encompasses our entire being. That we are attached and glued to him. There's nothing, there's no one more important than him in our lives. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. John 14, 15, that's, that's the second thing I want us to see. So we saw about loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. John 14, 15. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we saw right now, the first part of it is what I just said for Matthew, is that we should love God with all of our being, right? He should be our everything. The way we express that love is by obeying him. You claim to love God, show me by how you live. If you don't live in a way that is in according to the word of God, I'm sorry, but you do not love God. I'm not saying that we don't struggle. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. But if you claim as a Christian that you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, prove it by the way you live. Show me by the way you live. Because that's, that's fruit right there. That shows that you love him by obeying what he asks you to obey, no matter how hard it is. We obey. We should be a people marked by obedience. And whatever he asks us to do, we do, regardless of the cost. Okay? So he saw about loving God, obeying, showing that love by obeying Christ. 1 Peter 1. We're going to read from verses 15 and 16. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is taken directly from Leviticus 11, 45 and 44 to 45, uh, 19, 2, and then 20, and 20, verse 7. That is a direct quote from the, from, the, from the law of God, from the Torah. God called Israel in the context of there to be holy like he is holy. That is a standard that God has set. That is what he commands. That's what he wants. Now, when we talk about holy, holy in the Greek means something different, set apart. We have to be set apart. We have to be different from the world. Again, that goes into play with, you love me, obey my command, show it, show it to me by the way you live. Well, do you live holy? Do you live set apart? If I looked, in you, if I looked at your life right now, or even better, if someone would take a recording of your life and allow me to see it or us to see it, are we living holy? Could we, could we say of each other are we, that we're living holy before God? 
Are we set apart? Are we different? Are we seeking to be different? Are we seeking to be different from the world? Are we seeking not to follow the attitudes of the world and to be set apart for God, for the purposes that he's called us to? That's another way that we can see that we can please God. And finally, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Every time the Lord gives me an opportunity, and Pastor Ron gives me an opportunity to preach, I love using that verse because that is really a, that is a passion of mine, that in our daily lives we share Christ with those around us. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. So this is talking about, yeah, you know, the disciples were here, they went and spread through the entire world, shared the gospel, they paid a price for it, yes, but they did it. But we also are called to do that because all of us go to school, all of us go to work, all of us have family, all of us have friends. The people that God put in our life are specifically there for a specific reason, and, our, and, and, that's, our minis- and that's our ministry field, that's our, our harvest right there, to share Christ in every opportunity he, he, he opens up. And that's something, if you guys read Colossians chapter 4, there's a prayer there that Paul asked that the Colossian church pray on his behalf that open that doors will be open for him to be able to share the gospel. I highly recommend you pray that every morning. Lord, open doors for me to share the gospel. Wherever you take me today. Wherever you put me today, give me those open my eyes to see the opportunities you're giving me to share the gospel. And let's be passionate about it. We have a world out there to be rec- that has to be reconciled to Christ. This is not about us just sitting here and having a good time. We have to go out and share. We we can't be complacent about it. We have to do this. And if we truly want to live a life that is pleasing to Christ, we will do. We will go out, look for those opportunities. And it can be as easy as coming to someone and ask, hey, can I pray for you? And while you're praying, share the gospel with them while you're praying. I found that to be very effective at work when people have to go to work and, and they're working and they can't, we can't have a long time to actually talk and break down what the gospel is. Pray the gospel over them. Give them a card. From, we have tons here at church that we prepared. Give it out. But let's not be complacent about it. Let's be a church that is marked by a desire to, ple- to, live, a lo- to live lives that are pleasing to Christ. Because then we will truly be showing that in our lives, that we want to please him. So all that I said right now could seem a little bit daunting because the standard is high. And that's, that's true. God is perfect. His standards are perfect. But we have an encouragement as Christians that I want to focus on right now. Is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We know here in the church, Pastor Ron always talks about it's not perfection, it's direction. Well, we have someone who's helping us walk in that direction. We're not alone to live that. So we can live that. We can do that. That does not mean we've, we, we won't fail. It doesn't mean we will be, it won't be hard. And it doesn't mean that there won't be times that we will miss it. But when that happens, get up and keep moving forward. Get up and keep moving forward. J.I. Packer said the following. The Christian's life in all its aspect, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, 
is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. We need the Holy Spirit's help to live that life. Because in our, in our flesh, we can't. I think that's, that's, that's encouraging. It's great as Christians. Like we want to seek to live, we want to seek to please God. Well, we have someone who helps us to do so, who lives within us, a person who lives within us that helps us to please the Lord with our lives. And not only that, he's conforming us to the image of his son. So daily, in progressive sanctification, we're drawing closer, we're, we're becoming more and more like Christ. You guys want to know what the will of God is? Read Romans 8.29. That, that God would form Jesus within us. That's God's will. That's, that's God's will for your life. That Jesus will be formed within you. Because there's no, no one more important than his son. It's all about him. It's only about Christ. Okay. So, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5. So I just spoke about the ambition to please Christ, what does that look like, and the help that we have from the Holy Spirit to do so. Now we're going to talk about the motivation. We're going to look at the first part of verse 10. So the motivation behind that ambition is this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul states here that all believers will appear before that judgment seat. And the word judgment seat in the Greek, it means a platform to which someone walked up to to receive judgment. Figuratively, it talks about the administration of justice. Literally, it's talking, from, it's talking about something given from a tribunal chair, a throne, where rewards and punishments are meted out. Okay? And then John MacArthur wrote, Judgment seat metaphorically refers to the place where the Lord will sit to evaluate believers' lives for the purpose of giving them eternal rewards. Now imagine this. When we die, we're going to stand before Christ, give an account of, for him about for everything that we've done, every thought we thought, every feeling we felt, every word we said, everything we did, we're going to have to give an account for him. How does that make you feel? Standing before Christ. But that's what we're going to have to do. That's what's going to happen. But let me comfort you guys with something. And I'm going to use the next term specifically for, for a purpose. The true Christian will not be judged for their sin when they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That was paid for by the cross. I do, we do not have to be worried about experiencing God's wrath because of our sin, because Jesus already experienced it for us. We, have, we, are, stand, we are righteous before God. We have been declared legally right, justified in his sight. So I don't have to worry about experiencing God's wrath. Jesus did that. So that's an encouragement for us as Christians, that we don't have to worry about suffering God's wrath when we stand before him. However, that does not mean we aren't accountable to God for how we live on this earth. I want us to turn to Romans 14. Romans 14, verses 10 until 12. But why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written. 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. That's from Isaiah 45, 23. And look at, and read verse 20, look at verse, 20, uh, verse 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We are accountable to him. So if we think that even if the way no one sees how we feel or how we think, there is one who sees. We're going to talk about that a little bit further down. But we will have to stand before him. And I know, I don't know about you guys, but I want to make sure that, for me, that there will not be as much bad things <laughs> that you will find. But that I will try the best, that, the best that I can with the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to him. That's my motivation. And I hope that that's the same for you guys as well. So, if you guys would allow me to, I want to touch on another motivation for living a life that is pleasing to Christ. And it's actually in our same chapter, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm sorry, guys, I think my voice is giving, a, giving away. <laughs> um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Okay, so we just dropped down a couple of verses down. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. What is another motivation? It's the love of Christ for us. You see, when we were non-believers, we couldn't live a life that pleased God. Because it's enough for one sin. It's enough that I lied only once in my entire life. If that sin is not covered by the blood of Christ, that's enough to send us to hell for eternity. The reason that is, is because God is infinite. He's so far greater, so far marvelous and awesome than we can, ever, we can ever imagine. So the punishment of offending such a God is equally infinite and eternal. So it's enough for one lie that has not been, not been atoned for by the blood of Christ that would send us to hell. And it's not enough to think that you stand before God. Let's say if I was standing before him, and I'll tell the Lord, but I haven't done what that guy did. My life was better than his. I didn't do as much evil as he did. That doesn't matter because God doesn't compare us to each other. He compares us by his perfect standards. Do you live up to that standard? When he says to live holy, do you live up to that? When he says, has anyone here loved God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind every single moment of their day? If you have, you are lying because that, no one can do that. No one, can, no one can live that way. Only one did, and that was Christ. And the beautiful thing about it is that the moment that when I was supposed to die because I haven't been able to keep God's standards, the Lord said he sent Christ. Christ died for me. And by believing in him, his righteousness is imputed to me. My sin was reckoned unto him. Not that he became a sinner, but instead of me paying for my sin, he did it. And because he did it, because he died on the cross, that means I have, I have forgiveness for every sin I've ever done. Doesn't mean we don't repent. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We, are, we should be marked by repentance as a, as a church. But 
by believing in him, we have his righteousness. And we can stand before God legally justified because of what he did for us on the cross. Because if there's anything I want you guys to remember when it comes to the gospel, we cannot compare ourselves to other people by how good or well, how good or not good, it's horrible English, they live their lives. Because God doesn't compare us to other people, he compares us to what he commands. And you know, something that Paul Washer was talking about this that greatly helped, was very helpful to me when I, that I never thought about before, I wanted to share with you guys, the, the idea of, you see someone up here preaching, it could be someone, it could be the preachers you see on TV, you know, Some, those that truly are preaching the gospel, that are truly faithful to, to declaring what God is wanting us to know, you know, or even in this case, we see Paul. I mean, no one has ever suffered for Christ like Paul did. I think besides Christ, only besides Christ, Paul was the person that suffered the most in the New Testament. And we see someone like that and we think, my gosh, what a love for Christ he has. What a drive, what a motivation, what a passion. But no, what I learned was very, it, was, it touched me profoundly. It's not about the love Paul has for Christ. It's the love Christ has for Paul. Because when I go up, when I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, or when I look inside, I don't have nothing to celebrate when it comes to the love of Christ. When it comes to my zeal or my passion or my ambition to follow him. There's nothing there to focus, nothing there to spur me on because it's so weak. But when I, when I, when I change my focus to it's about the love of Christ, what he did for me, my gosh, that's something that can propel me to. Because, again, if I could summarize that, it's not about our performance, it's his. And these are things that I've been learning, that I've been growing in, that has been very helpful for me in my attitude and in my, in my understanding. So guys, it's just, it's not only our, our the, the motivation should not only be we're going to give an account to God, but also the love that he has for us. Because I want you to know no one will ever love you the way Jesus does. No one could ever, ever do to you, for you what Jesus did for us on the cross. Galatians chapter 3 says he became a curse for us. That's taken uh, directly from Deuteronomy 23, which says that cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Can you, can you guys honestly tell me of one person in your life who became a curse for you? No. Who experienced endless ages of the wrath of God on him because of our sin, instead of us. No. I don't care who in your life is close to you, who do you love, who you're, who you're intimate with, they will never love you the way Christ loves you. And that in itself, that love right there, that is foreign to our human understanding, should propel us to do what he called us to do. That should be our focus. So I want to encourage you guys, if you guys feel that your love is not enough. You're not doing enough. You're not living up to the standard, if you will. Remember, there's one who has lived up to that standard for you, and he loves you beyond comprehension. Let that be your focus. His performance and not yours. And that's something I have to teach myself. I have to remind myself that every single day. Because my tendency is to be excited about my performance. That is something the Lord is working on me right now. 
but I should focus on his performance because that's what matters. So be encouraged. Be encouraged by the love of Christ for you. So the final part, final uh, point is the result of that ambition. So we talked about the Christian ambition. We talked about the motivation behind it. Now the result. 2 Corinthians 5, go down to verse 10, the second part of it. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we talked about that before, earlier. So Paul goes on to say that the reason the Christian appears before the judgment seat of Christ is to be recompensed for the deeds they did while they lived on earth. John MacArthur wrote the following. Paul was referring to all the activities believers do during their lifetimes, which relate to their eternal reward and praise from God. What Christians do in their temporal bodies will, in his his eyes, have an impact for eternity. The job that God has you right now, that will have an impact on eternity. Where God has you now with your family, the way you handle that, live live in that place that God has you right, that will have an impact for eternity. What we do matters as Christians. And I want us to turn to Proverbs 15, verse 3. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Now, if that shouldn't keep us awake at night, I don't know what would. What, what wouldn't? God watches everything. It's not then when we're doing evil things that he's watching, but he knows. God knows everything that we're doing. And the thing is, what I said earlier even what we think and feel he sees. That is something called God being omniscient. He knows all. He knows all. Read Psalm 139, and it, will, it gives you a, a very detailed explanation of God's omniscience there. He knows everything about us. So, in that I would encourage you Live your lives to the audience of one person. That's God. Remembering that he looks and sees everything that you do. So if you think that you're you're in a dead-end job or things are not going well for you at school or it's, it's hard for you to pay the bills, as a single parent, there is one who sees and knows. And I, I find that very encouraging. That there's someone there who understands and helps. And to add to that, I wanted to go to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. This is a very, very well-known verse in the Word of God in the New Testament. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory 
God. So to build upon everything, what I just said, God sees everything. He's omniscient. He knows. So everything that we do, do it for the glory of God. And that means everything. So when you're at work, do that for the glory of God. When you're at school, study for the glory of God. When you're with your family, enjoy fellowship, enjoy time with your family for the glory of God. When you eat, eat for the glory of God. When you drink, drink for the glory of God. For us who are accustomed to the, mon- to the mundane of the week, that might not seem important, but it is. We are gonna gi- we're going to stand before Christ and give an account for all those days. And you know, it's interesting. It's very easy as a Christian to live on the high, in the high mountain experiences when you feel everything. You feel you can, you can walk on water. You can evangelize the entire city. Try living for the glory of God in the mundane. When every single Monday you wake up to go back to that same job that is hard, and you have, to, you have to deal with the same people that is hard to deal with every single week. Do that for the glory of God. That's when it gets hard. That's when the tire hits the road. Do that all for the glory of God. Another thing I want you guys to really, I want, if you guys, when you guys leave to remember this, is for the true Christian, I say, that's, I say that on purpose, There's no separation between the secular and sacred. Everything that we do for the glory of God is considered as service unto him. So at work, when you do your best for the glory of God, you're serving him. When you're with your family, serving them, blessing them, being with them, for the glory of God, you're serving him. When you're at school, studying, doing your best to grow in your education, you're doing it for the glory of God. And that's why, as Christians, we have to set aside that mentality that only pastors, preachers, people on staff at church are those that are in ministry. That's not. We're all called to be in ministry. Wherever we are, that's God's ministry for us. That's, what we're, that's where we're supposed to be serving. That's our mission field, like I said earlier. So when you guys have a new job, be excited. That's a new mission field God opened up for you. When you go to another school, when you move, I mean, your neighbors are right there. They live next to you 24-7. I mean, what, if that, what is that if not a mission field that God has set before you? God in his providence has ordained the circumstances of our life so we can bring him glory and honor. And to share the gospel with those around us. That, it's exciting to live life like that. You know, for me, it changed my perspective. No longer, I mean, I have my days, obviously, but no longer I wake up fearing Mondays, you know, Sad that the weekend is over because I'm thinking, okay, this is another week that I can make an impact for the Lord where he's put me. I'm doing DoorDash right now. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. That has opened up tremendous doors for me to minister to people. It's insane. I've gone to places I've never been before, never thought I would be going to. Customers, vendors. Um, funny story, I had, I had someone, I was delivering alcohol. It's part of the, the job. I have to deliver alcohol. And I, I knocked and we were talking and... Um, we got to talk, asked if I could pray for her right there, minister to her right there. I gave her a, church, I gave her a card that we have with the gospel. It's exciting to live life like that, you know? It's just, you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know where you're going to go. What an adventure with the Lord to live that way. 
So be encouraged when you wake up tomorrow morning. Not all of us have to go into the office. I work from home tomorrow. But when you do have to go into the office, ask the Lord, Lord, open, open my eyes. Who do you want me to reach here for you? Who do you want me to minister to? And you'll be surprised at what he does. It's really exciting. I encourage you. It's, it's an adventure with Christ to live that way. And you may say, well, I'm not, it's not easy for me because obviously all of us, our dispositions are different, personalities are different. That's, that's fine. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us to do that. We have the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't be discouraged and thinking, well, I'm an introvert. It's hard for me to talk like that to approach people. But then also do not use, lose, do not use the excuse of you being afraid of what people will say or react, especially in the workplace. I know that this is, a, this is a struggle here in the United States. Do not let that fear cause you to be quiet. Because I've had people come into my department that I've, I hope that I served the Lord in a right way with them, in the opportunities I had for them. But they left. I'm probably never going to see them again. I don't know what's going to happen. What if in my weak efforts to do what I did, if that was the last opportunity they had to hear about Christ? I don't know. So don't waste opportunities. Today is the day of salvation. Don't, don't put off things that, thinking, oh, well, we're, we, we can leave that for, for a later time because we don't know that that's, prom that's not promised. So live, life, live your lives. If you want to please God, seek to partner with him with what he's doing in the world, to reconcile the world to Christ. That's our job. Our job as Christians, we have, yes, we have families, we have jobs, we have bills that we have to pay. But I, I strongly believe that those things are only meant to help us live out the purpose that we're truly still on earth for, and which is to share the gospel with others. We have to eat. We have to live somewhere. We have to, we have to wear clothes. We have bills to pay. We have families to support. So we do the rest. But all of that is to maintain life here on earth so that we can share the gospel with those around us. And imagine we have so many empty chairs here. How much, how, imagine if each and every one of us would wake up with that idea, with that desire to ask Lord, with that prayer to open my eyes, open, open doors for me to share the gospel, open my eyes to what you're doing around. And if each and every one of us would share Christ, what, imagine what would happen here. So, What we do as, as a Christian matters. You will have to give an account to that. And, that and, the result, and the result of our ambition to please Christ is that we will, be, we will be recompensed for living lives that please him. I want to stand before Christ and him say, "Good, well done, good and faithful servant. And remember that it's not about comparing what someone else does to someone else, to what another person does. God has given you a certain job. He has given you certain people around you. Be faithful with those. Those are, what those, those are the ones that you're going to have to give an account to before God. 
Be faithful where God has you and what he has you doing. That's something the Lord taught me. I remember one time, I remember him telling telling me specifically, when you stand before me, I'm not going to be looking at someone else. Why did you not do like so-and-so? Why did you not do with what I gave you? All of us will have have to experience that. So to conclude, as Christians, our ambition should be to please God. We are motivated to do so by the love Christ has for us and by the knowledge that one day we will have to give him an account of our lives. We acknowledge that as a result of us seeking to please God, we will be recompensed for it when we appear before him at Christ's judgment seat. So I just wanted us to stand and we can pray uh, together as a church. Um, So if we can all stand up. And once we're done with that, I'm going to pass it on to Pastor Ron so he can finish us out. But what I wanted us to do as a church is to, and I'll be praying. And as we're praying, I want you guys to agree with me that we as a church will commit by the power of the Holy Spirit, despite any setbacks we have, to live lives that please Christ that that would be our ambition, the greatest, the great value that we, that we find in that a great value. And that if we're struggling with that, if we have not been living lives that please Christ, if we have not been doing what he's called us to do, this would be a good time also to repent. Because repentance is a changing of mind here, acknowledging what God says is right and changing our mind from what we thought was right and turning to him. So, Lord, I thank you for this time as a church that we can stand here before you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that that you send Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, Lord. That according to, to Isaiah 53, Lord, verse 8, it pleased you to crush him for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying and laying down your life of your own accord for suffering what you did in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend so that we could be restored to right relationship with you, so we could have access to the Father. Thank you, Lord, for saving us when you did not have to. And I pray right now, Lord, that with that understanding of of your love for us, Lord, of the fact that we will stand before you one day to give an account for our lives. I ask, Lord, that you help us to live lives that please you. And Father, I pray for any of us, Lord, who have been struggling, who haven't been doing that, Lord. I ask that we want to repent for that, Lord. We want to turn to you. And with your power, Holy Spirit, to live lives that bring honor and glory to you, that we're pleasing to you. I pray that for our church here at Marietta Vineyard Church, Lord, that we would be a church that's, that, whose ambition is to be pleasing to you, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what the mundane is? It's a task that's done selfishly because I know I'll get nothing out of it. Think about that real quick. 
May we not do that. May we go after the love of God. Okay?